Psalm 119, Psalm 119, we do have a few member, new member testimonies this evening, and so I will uh, try to be aware of the time as we work our way through this final stanza of Psalm 119. Again, it has been a privilege and a joy to preach through uh, this great chapter that uh, has been nicknamed the Mount Everest of the Bible. We come to verses 169 to 176, and we see the Hebrew letter T-A-U. Sorry for the extra uh, psalm there, a little typo, but T-A-U is the Hebrew letter that would begin each verse, be the first letter of each verse of this stanza. And so in the Hebrew acrostic, I know it doesn't translate or transliterate exactly the same in the English language, but in the original language, the first letter of each of this stanza would be with this Hebrew letter T-A-U. As we look at this psalm, let's see first of all tonight that love for God's word shows up in our words. We have seen a theme, really, one of the many themes throughout this psalm has been the love for God's word, the delights that we should have in God's word. Of course, there is a reference to God's word in nearly every single one of these 176 verses. So it's clear that the word of God is the central theme, but there is or are other themes, including this love or this delight for the Word of God. And we see in verse 169, let my cry come near before thee. In verse 170, let my supplication come before thee. Supplication references specific requests. Verse 171, my lips shall utter praise. Down to verse 172, my tongue shall speak of thy word. And then verse 175, let my soul live and it shall praise thee. Love for God's word shows up in our words. When we love someone, we can't help but talk about them, don't we? Especially with today's social media. Emily was at a wedding yesterday. She was part of a bridal party. For one of her longtime friends, I remember as I would look out my office door when she was in K4 with this particular friend, and I would open up my office door and I'd look out into the gym, and Emily and Maddie would be down there at recess playing together, and now Maddie is married. But as we know, with social media, there is much picturing in talk of all the upcoming, and now you can do on social media, I don't know how to do it, but now you can put these countdowns, and I think it even goes down to the very second uh, on some of the clocks that I've seen. There is much anticipation, there's posting, there's talking, because there's love, and we can't help but talk about whom we love. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And we see the psalmist with great delight for God's word, great love for God's word. He can't help but talk about God's word. He can't help but let that love for God and God's word come out. And that should be true of all of us. Uh, It should be true for each and every one of us that it is normal and natural to speak of the things of God, to praise the Lord and to talk about our Savior whom we love and to share God's word with one another 
and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the unsaved. Let my cry come near before thee. Let my supplication come before thee. Let, or my lips shall utter praise. My tongue shall speak of thy word. Let my soul live and it shall praise thee. We also see in this psalm that true praise, true praise is according to the truth and from a heart right with God. We have to remember if we go ahead to John chapter 4 and look ahead in the New Testament in verse 24, there was a discussion, a conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And in that conversation, we see a principle about true worship. As the woman at the well wanted to argue with Jesus about the place and the structure of worship, and she was even kind of saying, you Jews are all about Jerusalem and the temple. We Samaritans, we don't worship there. And she mentions another place. And she kind of hints even at what we see a little bit of in our culture today. But she's kind of saying, you Jews think you're so much better than us Samaritans. You worship in the right place at the temple at Jerusalem, according to the Old Testament. But you treat us with discrimination. You walk around our area, you treat us with disdain. You call yourselves the true worshipers, but you're full of racial discrimination. It's almost as if she is trying to give herself an excuse for her sin, which of course she was trying to do at one point, right? Having been an immoral woman and living with a man whom she was not married to. And yes, there was all that that Jesus was confronting her with about her sin. And she was arguing about place and all that. And what did Jesus bring her back to? That those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we see here in Psalm 119, verse 169, Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Understanding has to do with discernment. We see the word deliverance here. According to God's word. We see this deliverance must be according to God's word or by God's word. Deliver me, verse 170, according to thy word. In keeping with God's will, the way that he deems best for me. This understanding, this deliverance is once again according to the will of God. This discernment is so necessary today. This understanding is so necessary today. There are all kinds of deviant forms of worship, all kinds of deviant forms of religiosity. We were watching a, a podcast. There's a particular podcast I, I enjoy watching, listening to. And he did a little trivia, and he showed five Christmas programs by a so-called church that would be well recognized if I mentioned the church. I, I hesitate to even use the term church. It's very loosely a church. He showed five Christmas programs, just excerpts of five Christmas programs for this particular church. And at least a couple of them looked more like some sort of satanistic, demonic type of, I don't know, what all. But it was a deviant form of worship. 
And we know, if we did a little bit of study, I know from some study and some research into that particular church, again, so-called church, they are very aberrant and unorthodox in their theology. And yet they are highly recognized, and many, many, many churches pattern their worship after that church. And they are deviant in their theology, they're deviant in their worship, they're unorthodox, and they put out a lot of praise and worship songs that are making millions of dollars, but it is full of wrong theology. And it is not according to the word of God. Verse 171, he continues, taught me thy statutes. Our praise should be according to the truth from a right heart. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. When I am receiving the truth of the word of God with a teachable and humble heart, when I am right with God, my lips utter true and proper praise. Thy commandments are righteousness. Verse 172, my tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. What a shame to each and every one of us when we come to a worship service and our heart is not not right with God, our thoughts are not in line with God's word, when we're more about ourselves and our flesh and we're worried about what we're going to eat and where the line's going to be and how long it's going to be and what football game is on and how come I can't get there in time. and Right, we have all those distractions. And then now we have the smartphone that we can carry with us. And so we can do all kinds of things on the internet while we should be worshiping. I mean, we can go on and on with all of the examples, and we're, we're all guilty of it. I will stand up here and say I've been guilty of it. And it's a constant time of self-examination to come to church, to give ourselves to the Lord, who is really an audience of one, who we are to be glorifying, to we, we are to be focused upon. While we speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and we edify one another, we provoke one another to love and good works, we have been blessed, richly blessed by some wonderful music today. Good Christian music with good sound doctrine and good sound words and truth and sung and played in a proper way that I truly believe honors the Lord, that speaks to our hearts and gives glory and praise to Him and draws us to Himself, draws us to God lets us focus, causes us to focus outside of ourselves and on the Lord. When everything about this culture is about self and focusing on me, and church has now become, what can I get out of it? And what's in it for me? And we see the psalmist in his praise. It's according to the truth. It's from a heart right with God. Thy commandments are righteousness. Our words, our words should exalt Christ, point people to the truth. In our words, we should be sharing the gospel. We should be proclaiming the truth of God's word. We should be applying the truth of God's word to the topics that come up. We are dealing with all kinds of issues. They come up on a regular basis at work, in the news, places where we go for recreation. Most of us are in conversations with people on a weekly basis, and they're asking us questions. And they know who to go to when they are in need of prayer and when they want to talk about a serious matter. They often come to us 
if we have a principle of life, if we have a heart for God and it shows in our life and in our lips and the way we conduct our lives that we love God and we believe the Lord and we are serving him and trying to be faithful and obedient, they know. It, it shows up and they come to us. And we have opportunity to point them to the Lord's commands that are righteousness. Because what does the world do? What does the world do? The, the, the world... The world doesn't go to the Lord for help. The world tries to figure it out with all their education and all of their social policies and all of the spreading of the wealth, redistribution of wealth, all of the different government entities that supposedly each of those new Programs, each of those new bills that get passed, each of those new agencies are supposed to solve whatever problem that is supposed to be solved. What has the United Nations done to solve the problem of war in the world? When the United Nations this past week couldn't even condemn Hamas for their evil, what good is a multi-billion dollar joke of an institution when it can't even call out Hamas and call evil, evil. It's, it's unbelievable. God's judgments help us. They're clear. They determine right and wrong. These judgments uh, we read here in verse 175, let my soul live and it shall praise thee and let thy judgments help me. Were these silent utterances? It appears to be that this might be a Silent utterance, let my soul live and it shall praise thee. There might be a, a silent utterance, a groaning which cannot be uttered. But notice what he, he refers to. He refers to God's judgments, God's, God's judicial decrees. Help us. How much do our politicians' decrees help us? <laughs> there are some judgments, some rules, some policies. I mean, even the Supreme Court has been guilty of getting a lot of things very wrong through the years. Six to three judgment this past week or a ruling to not hear a case about mutilating children in a particular state of our nation. I'm talking about this whole transgender surgery stuff, which is nothing but gender mutilation. And the Supreme Court can't even come on land on the right side of that some of these other issues do we depend on the supreme court to determine right and wrong for our lives no god's judicial decrees help us and we can't help but praise him because there is a righteous standard that we can appeal to that we can live according to by the grace of god and Whatever God commands us to do, he gives us the grace of God to obey. So what he commands us to do, he gives us the strength, the grace to obey that as we depend upon him and trust him and obey him. His decrees, his judgments help us, points us to his righteous standard, gives clear lines of right and wrong, not this moral relativism and moral progressivism that's out there in our culture. 
Praise, true praise is according to the truth and from a heart right with God. And then we see in this psalm, we see that God's word helps us. God's word helps us. There are many more passages than these, but notice in verse 170 again, let my supplication come before thee, deliver me according to thy word. We need help. I know I need help. We need help. Psalm 121, where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills, to the mountains. Where shall my help come from? From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What was the psalmist wanting to be delivered from? We know in Psalm, or excuse me, in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 37, he was asking for God to deliver him out of the hand of this Philistine, Goliath. He talked about how God had helped him defeat a bear, kill a bear with his bare hands and a lion with his bare hands. And he's saying, surely God will help me in defeating this giant, Goliath, will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. There are enemies that we want deliverance from. Psalm 7 and verse 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Oh, excuse me, I got, I got my lines mixed up. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. We could go to Psalm 25 if we had time in verse 20 and Psalm 27 and verse 12. The same theme in those verses of God's deliverance. Psalm 31 and verse 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my rock for an house of defense to save me. Psalm 39 and verse 8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. There are times that we ask the Lord to save us from ourselves because we're so messed up. We have not been capable of making good decisions and doing right. As my Greek teacher used to say when we would do a really bad job on a test, he would say, you flubbed the dub. I don't know where Dr. Newt's got that from, but sometimes we would get our Greek test back and he would say, you flubbed the dub, the dub, dub, dub. And I said, "Uh uh-oh. I didn't do that well in Greek. It was a struggle. Sometimes we just, and you know what? I think more times we should see ourselves as incompetent because it will force us to depend upon the Lord. We're way too self-confident. We are way too dependent on our own resources, our own intellect, our own education, our own strength, our own wealth, so on and so forth. Not that God doesn't give us the strength to do the things that he has called us to do. Sure he has. And God gives us, God will not do for us what he has given us already the strength to do for ourselves, okay? But the point is that we must depend upon the Lord. It is his strength. Deliverance. Deliverance is sometimes from our own selves. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Psalm 19 and verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins has to do with flaunting sins, going over and above, where we just simply say, fooey with the rules, who cares, and I'm just going to do it anyway. And that stubborn, rebellious heart that we can have. And the psalmist is saying, God, deliver me. 
Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Don't ever, Lord, let me have that kind of stubborn attitude. Deal with me before I ever get to that point where I just want to stubbornly, defiantly disrespect and disobey you. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Deliverance. We need deliverance from worldly desires. We need deliverance from the fear of man. We need deliverance from sometimes the fear of death and how it can control us. We see a a culture today that over-romanticizes death and makes it a form of entertainment and then at the same time is afraid to even come into a funeral and have to deal with death in its realities. Can have all kinds of virtual death and be responsible virtually. I'm not getting into all the ins and outs of video games. That's not my point. But there's all kinds of death that's in virtual and in entertainment. And then we know people that are completely in fear and it grips them because they have no hope for what lies beyond this life. What a, Again, what a, a joy yesterday to be able to be here and to have a hope that we will see Jerry again and for that to be a theme that we could preach according to the promises of God that we know we will see him again and we will join him one day as believers. And though we will miss him for a while, we will not miss him forever because one day we will go to be with him and with our Savior. The psalmist Yes, had enemies, persecutors he wanted deliverance from, but sometimes our deliverance is not just for God to change our circumstances, but for God to change our hearts, to be content, to, Lord, help me through this trial, to be able to count it all joy, to go to the Lord for wisdom. Maybe deliverance is from the fear of unacceptance of the world. This fear grips Christians Believers who compromise because they're so fearful of not being accepted by the world. I would watch, and it happens in the adult world, but I I saw it many times in in dealing with kids at school and the Christian school, and there would be a fear for a kid to just simply speak up in a Christian school for what was right. According to the truth of the Word of God, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go there. We're going to stop. There can be a grip of peer pressure, of being fearful, of being... Not accepted by one's peers. We've seen huge compromise in denominations, in churches, in various ministries because there is such a fear of the world. We need deliverance from that fear. And we need deliverance from covetousness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do we truly, fully, and completely depend? Upon the Lord and seek Him for our deliverance. As we consider finally here God's help, God's word being our help, we see verse 173 Let thine hand help me. We already referenced Psalm 121. Verse 174 I have longed for thy salvation, not to dwell too long here, but as a saved person, how do we long for God's salvation? Here is a psalmist who is no doubt a saved individual. What is he asking for when he says that he longs for 
God's salvation. It's got to be more than just deliverance from circumstances, as I just mentioned, deliverance from people, deliverance from ourselves. It's ultimately a plea for the psalmist's heart to trust God, to have God's word as his defense. I compare it to Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation, where we guard our minds The helmet of salvation, we guard our minds with those soteriological promises, those salvation promises, those gospel truths. Do we long for his salvation according to God's word? We must claim the promises of God so that our longing is for God's word, his promises, his commands, his principles, to help us in our particular circumstance, in our particular dilemma, in our particular decision, in whatever it is that we are dealing with. Much like the armor of God in Ephesians 6 with the helmet of salvation. And where we are told to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, setting up a wall of fortress around our minds. Don't we need that when we're bombarded with data and distractions and entertainment and worldliness from so many different angles? We feel like the pilgrim Christian in Pilgrim's Progress and there's just vanity fair That's just with the flashing neon lights calling for us all the time to just enjoy all of the worldly pleasures. We have to have defense. We long for his salvation. We put on the helmet of salvation. And not just expect a change in circumstances or the removal of people from our lives. Though God may do that, but ultimately it's ourselves that need the adjusting to trust God, to claim his word, to claim his promises. Verse 175, let my soul live and it shall praise thee. Essentially, he's saying, as long as I have breath, I will praise you, Lord. And then verse 176, as we conclude this psalm, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. He sees himself as a lost sheep. Prone to wander, as we often say and sing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it with thy courts above. Matthew chapter 18, we'll conclude here. But in this chapter, we often think of Matthew 18 as the chapter on church discipline, which of course it is. But in Matthew 18 and verse 10, we have the parable of the lost sheep. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Who are the little ones? Believers. And he goes on to say, For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How thank ye if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seek seeketh that which is gone astray. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. 
Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I know this is often compared, it's actually a different parable than what is found in the book of Luke in chapter 15 where it's a reference to the unsaved. This is the believer who is the sheep who has wandered away and God goes after him or her. And he seeks out and the psalmist says, what? I've been that lost sheep. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And he says to the Lord, seek thy servant. Seek me out, Lord. Come and get me. Deal with me. Help me. Your word. I do not forget thy commandments. Your commandments are what are going to get me back right. and Get me back in the sheepfold. Get me where I belong so that I can be in the protection of the shepherd. And not be out there where there is spiritual devastation. This is not speaking of eternal destruction. It's just speaking of spiritual devastation. And then what happens at the end of the chapter in Matthew 18? He deals with church discipline. So in the context, we even see that we're dealing with believers and how we must keep God's commandments. And when there's that temptation and when we do go astray, we have the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And a good man may fall seven times, but he gets up again. And that's what we need to remember as we come to the end of this great psalm. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy Commandments. May we love and delight in God's word and truly not forget his commandments. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. What a joy and a privilege and a blessing it has been to work our way through this incredible psalm that speaks so often of your word, that reminds us of the necessity that we must have in our hearts and our minds and our lives to love your word, to delight in your word, to not forget thy commandments. We thank you, Lord, that you are our great shepherd who will come after us, who will seek your own, who will chasten us in order to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Lord, help us not to go astray. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to your word, to claim your promises, to obey your commands, to follow your principles. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege it has been to be together tonight. We pray you bless these testimonies. Thank you, Lord, for growing our church, not just numerically, but even spiritually. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And we ask this in Jesus' name.